Hello, Duke fans, and welcome to DVR Bites, number 11. It is Monday, February 13th, 2023. First and foremost, happy 76th birthday to former Duke men's basketball head coach, Mike Krzyzewski. He's 76. Wow. That's that's the first time on the show we used former before his name. Former Duke men's basketball coach, coach. Mike Krzyzewski. Happy birthday, Coach K. Uh, We're not going to talk about you for the rest of this episode. I am your host. I am Sam Klein. I'm here to help preview Duke's upcoming matchup against the Notre Dame Fighting Irish. Perhaps the final time that Mike Bray is going to play Duke. Perhaps. I am joined. There's been been a lot of talk that even though he says he's leaving Notre Dame, that he may not be done coaching. So he may, you know. Yeah. Is that a scoop? I thought that's not. That's not inside info. That's just sort of. He's been very intentional about saying that this is his last year at Notre Dame, not right. saying that it's his last year in coaching. Is he going right. back to Dematha? What what's the what's the scuttlebutt? Jason Evans and Donald Wine are both here. Uh, we're doing we're doing three man bites today to preview Notre Dame. Donald, what's up? Hi. How about the Super Bowl last night? Uh, how about was, the Super Bowl last night? By the uh, way, so now now everybody is talking about bad calls. And the refs, you know, screwing a team out of a victory or a chance at a victory. We've been talking about that for days. <laughs> <laughs> we were we were on it way before you, Eagles fan. Way we before it first. was cool. <laughs> Jason Evans is also here. Jason, were you rooting for the Eagles? I, I feel like you're, isn't your wife an Eagles fan? Uh, yeah, so I was really conflicted because, I mean, Eagles fan, my wife isn't really a fan of any sports team. She's just not into sports. But my I do have a lot of family. Um, my in-laws are all from Philadelphia. And so that would give me reason to root for the Eagles. But... Like one of my best friends in the world is a huge, uh, he's from Kansas City. He's a huge Chiefs fan. And somehow this is the most bizarre thing ever. I'm on a group text with him, his brother, his son, his uncle, and his cousin. It's like this one family and me. I don't know why I'm also on it with them, but they talk Chiefs stuff all the time. And so I, 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 I've ended up following the Chiefs, so I was pretty conflicted during the game. I was happy for a good, close game, and I would be happy either way. Philadelphia has lost three major finals in the last 102 days. It's got to hurt. I, I So I grew up in the Washington, D.C. area where I couldn't root for anything associated with Philadelphia. And then I moved to Colorado where they very much do not like the Kansas City Chiefs. So I have I have found myself rooting against both of these teams many times, but I really, really like Patrick Mahomes and Jalen Hurts. They are both super duper awesome. So I had fun watching the game yesterday while being uh, fairly indifferent to the outcome. Yeah, and that's that's a great way, I think, to watch a ball game. You're not as emotionally invested. You can just kind of relax a little bit. The only thing about the Super Bowl that's kind of weird for me is that I can't fast forward through the commercials. I'm watching the commercials. Stop nonstop. Did you have a did you have a favorite? Uh, We're just gonna do this whole thing. Did you have a favorite commercial, Jason? Uh I really I really like the Ben Affleck working the Dunkin' Donuts counter commercial. I thought that was a pretty good yeah, that was and, good. And you don't even live up here. So yeah, you, you don't even, yeah, yeah, you exactly. don't even really right. get it. <laughs> I will say that the the commercials on the whole, um, I thought bad. were a little they were bit bad. Down. They were bad. It was not but this good. is like it's one of these rare, this is one of those rare like years where the Super Bowl game was way better than the commercials. Usually it's it's either 50-50 or, or leaning towards the commercials. But this one was a, a terrific game where you'd go to commercial and like, oh, I can actually like 
go get something to eat or go to the restroom because these commercials haven't really been as good as the action I've been seeing. It's really just that we missed all of the uh, cryptocurrency commercials. That's that's really yeah. you know it's not the Super Bowl without the cryptocurrency commercials. <laughs> uh, thank what God, your, we, Sam, Sam. What was your favorite? Thank God we still have the sports gambling commercials. Otherwise, the whole enterprise would fall. And the Doritos commercials. Uh, what was my favorite? I liked the Bush Light commercial. I liked the the Blue Moon commercial with the Miller Light versus Coors Light. Light that was crazy. Yeah. Wait, was that really? Did wait? Was that really a Blue Moon commercial? Like how? Did, yeah. I I don't understand that ad. Well, they're all at all. They're all the same corporate entity. So yes. Oh okay. All right. Uh, it, which which is one of those things that's like surprising when you consider that like Miller Light and Coors Light are very much competitors, like key competitors of each other. Yeah. But they're the same. They're the same corporate entity, so they can appear in each other's commercials. And Blue Moon and, has no relation to the other two. Like it's well, no. Bl- okay. Blue Moon is a is a Coors product. So mm-hmm. um, also part of the same company. If you it, if you ever want to uh, go to the the Blue Moon Brewery in in Colorado, I can take you there. Been been there before. So anyway, uh, yeah, I, I I don't know. I I I was sort of in and out on the commercials. I I was like you guys. I didn't think any of them were stunning, and so. Uh, that's that's that the game was fun and uh, I like mostly I just like Patrick Mahomes father I, I don't remember him as a, oh Pat senior yeah I used to remember him league baseball playing. player yeah but uh but I like his whole I like his whole vibe I would like to hang out with that guy that's, Pat senior Pat senior Pat senior is is a dude that's that my guy you know you stories. know what we're, we're not hanging out with with Pat Mahomes this week Duke is hanging out uh with Notre Dame that's happening on Tuesday night in Cameron like I said potentially Mike Bray's last meeting against his his former employer, potentially, assuming that he retires and goes somewhere or or leaves Notre Dame and goes somewhere where he doesn't play Duke anymore. But uh, this this version of Notre Dame is not the most exciting version of Notre Dame. And to my surprise, and gentlemen, you're going to help me unpack this over the next few minutes. I see as I look at Notre Dame's roster and statistics, a lot of names that I am very familiar with. And you would think, if I'm looking at a bunch of names that I'm familiar with on an ACC basketball team, a team that has been successful in recent years, that I would assume that they will still be good this year. And yet, despite that fact, Notre Dame is just 10 terrible. And 15 terrible. coming into this contest. They're 2-12 and 12 in conference. Their only wins are against Louisville and Georgia Tech, both of whom totally stink. Everyone else that that they've played in the ACC, they've lost to. They have no like wins of consequence on their schedule other than Michigan State, which is a win that is now like two and a half months old. So, Donald, can you talk me through first Notre Dame's performance this season and just what is going on with the Irish? Well, you started with with the big things, right? Like the fact that they are two and 12 in the ACC, the fact that those two wins have come against Louisville and Georgia Tech and that Georgia Tech game was an overtime. They also have lost to Georgia Tech on the road. So uh, and once again, my... Georgia Tech stinks. Like, yes, you know, wait, wait, let's hold on. Let's be clear about something. Notre Dame has not won a game on on the road or on a neutral site. Like they all the every single win. You guys are taking my section. All this stuff I was going to talk about. <laughs> sorry. I'm sorry. No, no, go my bad. No, I apologize, but... my friend. I apologize. No, no, but I, I mean, just here's the start things, right? Like they've had games against top 100. You know, if you look at the top 100 in Ken Palm, and I know, you know, only 68 teams go to the, you know, NCAA tournament, but looking at the top 100 means at least you're looking at teams that should be in the national in the NCAA tournament and teams that are at least on the bubble or fighting for contention to get into that tournament, right? Maybe a couple wins away here or there. 
They only have one top 100 win. And like you said, Sam, it's against Michigan State. Their wins are mainly against teams like Youngstown State, Southern Indiana, Bowling Green, Lipscomb, Boston University. The, there is one crossover that we have played, and that was Jacksonville. Um, they beat Jacksonville at home by 16 points. Uh, Jacksonville, as you remember, was the first game that we played this year. Um, so they we have won some, by almost 30. And we won by mm-hmm. almost 30, right. And that yeah. was a team that did not have Derek, uh, Derek Whitehead or Derek Lively. And, you know, that. so we've had – we've a much different team than we were on November 7th. But the problem with Notre Dame is, yeah, they've played some teams that were good. They just lost to all of them. But they also have some terrible losses. St. Bonaventure, Florida State twice, BC twice, Georgia Tech again on the road. And like you said, Jason, they are winless when they are not at the Joy Center in South Bend. So all this is to say that, you know, in theory, on paper, Duke should have an easy time against Notre Dame tomorrow. But we haven't seen that lately. Even with games in camera, there has been a struggle with Duke. Here's what Duke needs to do. They need to understand that they're playing Notre Dame, that they're better than them, and that they can take them. They need to have that confidence. I feel like they've lost that a bit over the last week since we you know, were talking about the euphoria that was uh, the aftermath of beating UNC. We haven't got that confidence back. But they need to understand that this week is going to be an interesting week. You have Notre Dame on Tuesday. You have Syracuse on Saturday they have an opportunity to right the ship and get back on back back to square one. And they're doing it at a team where Jason, I know you're going to look at the metrics, Notre Dame, what they do terribly is basically contrary, like contradictory to what Duke does. Great. Like they don't re like they don't rebound. Well, Duke rebounds. Well, like those sort of like metrics that you're going to see a lot of the stuff that they do poorly, we do well. And so it should be a pretty good matchup for us, but we have to execute. That's the real key is we have to execute. And I know, I, I know, I don't know if you guys heard about this this morning, but it sounds like Kyle Filipowski, his status for tomorrow may be in question. He's still dealing with the injury from the play on Saturday. We're not going to get into the play anymore, but at least that play is having an after effect on this game in the sense that he may not be able to play or the very least he will not be 100% if he does play. And we hope that, that flip is able to play, but as I'm looking at, Notre Dame's roster and the guys who are actually getting minutes for them. This might be one of the least concerning games in terms of sort of rebound margin and size that Duke is going to have to contend with Notre Dame. And and Jason, I know is going to get into this in a little bit more detail with the advanced stats. Notre Dame is one of the smallest teams that Duke is going to be playing. They basically only have one guy that's like of meaningful big man size. That's Nate Lashevsky. And otherwise it's a lot of, 6'3", 6'4", 6'5", type guys, 6'6", guys. So Dariq Whitehead, for some stretches of this game, will be the biggest guy on the floor. He could be the biggest guy on the floor if John Shire decides to go small lineup. So this is one area where where Notre Dame has a clear disadvantage when playing Duke. The other one is in their depth. Uh, They've got five players who are playing over 30 minutes a game this season. Now, Mike Bray's had to deal with some sort of lineup changes. He It seems like in, in recent weeks, he's uh, favored benching J.J. Starling, who has been getting a ton of minutes this season. But let me just quickly run you through sort of the key players for them, and then I want Jason to, to talk about the advanced metrics. So stop me if you've heard any of these names before. Key contributors for Notre Dame by minutes played. Dane Goodwin, he's a super senior. Nate Lashevsky, I believe he's also a super senior. Trey Wirtz, is a super senior, although he he's a transfer, so he's only 
been in the program for a couple of years. Uh, Cormac Ryan is a senior. He's in his third year in the program. Uh, they've got, I mentioned JJ Starling. This is a, a name that when I was reviewing these, I was like, oh yeah, JJ Starling. I'm familiar with him. The reason I recalled that I was familiar with him is that Duke had recruited him. He's a freshman. He's, he's the, uh, I guess you would say he's the star freshman, although, although has not been performing well enough that uh, Mike Bray has decided, as I said, to give him fewer minutes in recent games. They have one other uh, freshman who is playing on this team. That's Van Allen Lubin, who is another pseudo big man. He's six, eight. And then, you know, Hey Sam, really quick. They've been playing him a lot more lately. I think they recognize that they were just too small, only having Nate Lashevsky as the only guy basically above like six, six out there. And they've been playing, um, Lubin, uh, you know, more minutes lately than he'd been getting earlier in the season. And then only one other guy that's that's getting meaningful minutes is Marcus Hammond, another super senior, although this is his first year in a high major program. He's been playing for Greg Paulus the last few years at Niagara. So he basically he basically replaced J.J. Star like Starling is shot so, so poorly that they they finally decided we just can't play this kid as much. And, and Marcus Hammond, who's like five years older than J.J. Starling, is, has been playing a lot more for them. And wasn't playing earlier in the season. So so that's that's it for the guys that Notre Dame is likely to trot out for meaningful minutes against Duke, somewhat regardless of, of the outcome of the game. They have another forward named Matt Zona who may get a few spot minutes, but it's really those seven. And even within that, Mike Bray is likely to only play five or six guys, you know, a ton of minutes. Five of those players, Starling being one of them, are averaging over 30 minutes a game. So this is a, a team that does not have a ton of depth and and really struggles to you know sort of have lineups that are that are uh, consistently efficient together. Yeah, you. I mean, just those two things you mentioned, right? The the age. I mean, and how few players come off the bench is the weirdest part I think about Notre Dame this year because those guys you mentioned, right? We we've heard about all of them. They're the third oldest team in Division One basketball. He rides them into the ground because they also have the second fewest bench minutes of any team in Division One basketball. So all these guys that you hear about is because they're all playing 38, 39, 40 minutes because there's really no one coming in to replace them. And even if they get into foul trouble, he's not utilizing the rest of his bench beyond a few guys coming in uh, here and there. But it's it's really a seven-man rotation for the most part. Jason, when I look at the numbers on Notre Dame, I see that they are one of the slowest teams in Division One. I also see that they have one of the worst defenses in Division One. And as I look, when you put those two things together, it's an interesting contrast because you look at their recent games, the number of points they've given up. Let's ignore the Louisville game because Louisville is is not an ACC team this year. They lost to Virginia Tech most recently on Saturday. They gave up 93 points. They lost to Georgia Tech the game before. They gave up 70 points. They lost to Wake Forest. The weekend prior to that, they gave up 81 points. NC State, 85. Boston College scored 84 points on them. Florida State scored 84 against Notre Dame, a team that is one of the slowest in Division One, but their defense is so bad that basically everyone is scoring 80 points against them. Jason, what is going on with the Irish on defense this year? I mean, they're they're literally probably the worst defensive team that Duke will play all year. They are 360th in the country. I want to be clear about that number. There are 363 teams in Division One. Notre Dame is 360th at forcing turnovers. That's just, that's unforgivable. It's unbelievable that a team could be, that a Power Five conference team, you know, a, 
a team that is full of players who've been to the NCAA tournament multiple times in their careers, that this team could be 360th in the country at forcing turnovers. They they're so bad at forcing turnovers that it's almost like the law of averages says if you if you as as a group of five stood around and did nothing, you would yeah. aver- you would get more turnovers than what Notre Dame is doing so far this year. Like they for some reason just not clicking where because even their unforced turnovers percentage is really low. Just teams just like they let teams pass the ball on them and they let teams take shots on them. And again, they're not great at rebounding. And that's where they've really been killed because a lot of teams are getting offensive boards on them. Jason, how many turnovers is Duke going to commit against Notre Dame? Because this has been the real bugaboo for the Blue Devils. Oh, my the, God. The last I... couple games. So is Duke only going to turn the ball over five times? Or are they going to turn it over 15 times and make this thing a game? It, it, 22. It... We're, going for, we're going for 22. And no, 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 no. Oh, God. <laughs> Dear Lord. Now, if we turn the ball over more than like 12 times... It would be shocking because this Notre Dame team is so, so bad. Actually, this is sort of the, uh, you know, immovable object against the irresistible force. The immovable object is. Well, it's um, the, I think this is a movable object right. against the stoppable force. <laughs> right, exactly. Yeah. I was going to say the immovable object is is Duke wanting to turn the ball over and the irresistible <laughs> right. force is Notre Dame being like, no, no, please hold on to it. Is is uh, Kyle Filipowski's slippery hands. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. It'll be, if we give up a lot of turnovers, it would be really shocking because Notre Dame is so, so, so bad at this. Uh, it would just, it would be. It almost horrible. feels like this is exactly what the doctor ordered for Duke. Hopefully, right? It does. I, 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 I agree. I was going to say I, I don't know about jinxes, but, but, but a team that can't turn you over and has no depth seems like exactly the kind of team that Duke wants to play this well, week. And, and if you're if you're Kyle Filipowski, and you know, assuming you know, we hope that his ankle is okay and he's able to play. And and look, this is a guy who's struggled the past few games. Talk about a team to get better against. Flip, flip struggles with turnovers; they are not going to turn you over. And there, he was probably going to be guarded most of this game by Dane Goodwin, who's six inches shorter than him. And about 30 pounds less than him. And that's literally who plays power forward for Notre Dame most of the time. I, I was, I was, re- I, I, please, please let Flip be healthy because he could really get healthy mentally against this Notre Dame team. But at the same time, as I mentioned before, we still need to execute on our end, right? Like, even if, if Notre Dame is not going to go get turnovers and not trying to force them, don't give it to them. Right. Like we've had a lot of opportunities where, you know, we've faced teams that aren't great at, at getting turnovers. And we have basically walked right into turnovers by just kind of handing them the ball or going doing a lot of offensive fouls. So let's make sure that we execute on our end. If we can take care of the basketball, they're not going to try and force it from us. Or, or I should say they're not good at forcing them from other people. But let's not give it to them because we know that they're just, you know, that, that they're Notre Dame. They're not going to force it. Let's not let's not make it easy on them. All right, so let me go back to some of these advanced stats. Uh, We already mentioned, obviously, they're terrible, abysmal at forcing turnovers. They are also one of the bottom 50 teams in the country at two-point field goal defense. That's because they don't block shots. They're they're not good at shot blocking at all. Uh, About the only thing they do well on defense, and Donald, you mentioned this, and I I think you may have looked at the stat wrong. They're actually a pretty good defensive rebounding team. They're, They're top 50 in the country at defensive rebounding, so... They aren't going to turn you over. They're going to let you get good shots. But at least if you miss, they typically get most of those rebounds. They also are pretty good at not fouling. They're one of the best teams in the country at not picking up fouls. But I'm not so sure that that's 
<laughs> that may not be a good thing. I think it's a sign of the fact that they aren't very aggressive on defense. Like one of the places you pick up fouls is that you're trying to make plays defensively. And as a result, you make a foul. I think Notre Dame doesn't even try to make plays on defense, which is why they don't pick up many fouls. But I mean, at least they don't send teams to the free throw line all that often. They just let them score. <laughs> Let's get to the other side of the ball because Notre Dame is pretty good on offense. In fact, we talked about the turnovers. This is like the most amazing thing ever. The juxtaposition between Notre Dame forcing turnovers and turning it over themselves. Notre Dame is the number one team in the country, the best team in the country at not turning the ball over on offense. That's an incredible stat. Again, they're like the third worst team in the country at forcing turnovers. They're the best team in the country at not turning it over. So they get a lot of shots as a result of that. The reason they're so great at not committing turnovers is that they're basically playing four guards at all times. And then Nate Lashevsky, who's the only big man, we've talked about that. He's he's almost like a guard in a big man's body. He's got fairly good ball handling. He's a very nice shooter for his size. So he's more of a guard than he is a forward or a center. So they're basically playing five guys at all times who can handle the ball, which is why they don't turn it over at all. They shoot a lot of threes. I mean, not surprising. I just said that, you know, they're basically playing five guards. They hit um they hit about 37% of their three pointers, which is a good number, and about 43% of their shots are are coming from outside the three-point line. So this is a team that wants to bomb away at you and see if they can score points that way because they're they're not going to try to get the ball inside much at all. And they Jason, one, that's yeah. one of the scary things, I think, for Duke is that Duke can get shot out by, by a team yeah. that is committed to the threes. You know, one of the reasons that we talked about that Duke was able to hang with Virginia is that they – Duke – Duke didn't allow Virginia to shoot a high percentage from three. And so this is a game where Duke is potentially going to give up a lot more points from the beyond the arc, and they need to be prepared for that. Well, Duke is a is a pretty good, in fact, a very good team at defending the three-point line, and that's going to be absolutely essential in this game. And and it's worth noting, I really wonder, you know, we we've we've seen this contrast in Derek Lively's minutes in recent games you know, where he was dominant against Carolina. He had a very good game against Miami, one of the few guys in the team that played well, and then almost didn't play against Virginia. And, and we've discussed extensively. I still don't know why that was. I, I suspect we will see Derek Lively not playing a ton against Notre Dame because Notre Dame just doesn't try to take the ball to the to the basket. They don't try to take the ball in the lane. That's not part of what they're attempting to do on on offense. And as a result, having a rim protector like Lively on defense – I don't know that it helps Duke out that much. So I, I suspect this is a game where you'll see Ryan Young play 20-plus minutes and Lively play a little bit less just because what Lively's best at isn't something that you need to stop Notre Dame from doing. Guys, there is one more thing I wanted to mention. It's not about Notre Dame. It's about Duke. Can you guys guess? There are two players for this Duke basketball team who have started every single game this season. Do you know who they are? You probably know. Just guys who have been healthy the whole year, Kyle Filipowski and Mark Mitchell. Bingo. Very good, mm -hmm. my friend. So well, those Derek Lively has been hurt, and yeah. Jeremy Roach has been hurt, yeah. and Tyrese Proctor has been up and down. In and confusing. out. <laughs> Ryan Young has been in and out. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So in any event, uh, those two guys are the only players who've started all 25 games for Duke. I'm going to go on the record right now. I'm going to tell you that one of those two players will not be starting in this game against Notre Dame, because I think that if Flip... First of all, if Flip is hurt, he won't be starting. <laughs> but if he's healthy, I think you will see Derek Whitehead move into the starting lineup and Mark Mitchell move out of the starting lineup. John Shire has been very loyal to Mark Mitchell and has 
you know, allowed him to stay in the starting lineup for a while, even though Mark Mitchell has really, in my opinion, been struggling mightily lately. And I I think that that it's probably time for that to end. If Whitehead is truly healthy and he looked like he was healthy uh, against Virginia, then then I think Whitehead moves into the starting lineup. Jeremy Roach is no longer hurt. Last time when Whitehead was in the starting lineup, Roach was hurt, and so Mitchell could stay there. I think that Mark Mitchell probably moves out of the starting lineup. You know, Mark Mitchell has only hit one three point basket in 2023 thus far. In our in Duke's past eight games, Mark Mitchell has one double digit scoring game. He's gotten some rebounds sometimes. I mean, he makes some plays on defense, but let's be very honest. Mark Mitchell has not looked nearly as good as he did earlier in the year. And if someone has to come out of the starting lineup to allow Derek Whitehead to get into it, I think Mark Mitchell's the guy that makes the most sense. So either Mitchell or Flip, I believe, will not start against Notre Dame. Do you think he stays in the starting lineup if Flip is not good to go tomorrow? Yeah, I think he probably does. There's no, I mean, you could make a pretty good case that Jacob Grandison deserves to start. Look, all three of us picked him as player of the week. And I wouldn't be shocked if Shire did that. But I think that from a mental standpoint, um, Grandison's probably perfectly fine coming off the bench and picking his spot in that kind of way. And if you don't sort of need to take Mitchell out of the starting lineup, I, I, I think John Shire probably won't mess with the kid in that kind of way, unless he feels like Mitchell needs a kick in the butt. And maybe he does. I don't know. Looking ahead at the schedule, Duke has this game against Notre Dame on Tuesday, and then they go to Syracuse on Saturday, which could be interesting. Syracuse has not been world beaters this year in the ACC. So it's a it's projected to be a, a relatively close game. And then Duke returns home for that quick turnaround the Saturday to Monday for a home game against Louisville. The most interesting narrative behind which is that Nolan Smith will be coming home, but otherwise is a game that that we will not spend a ton of time wasting uh, valuable preview time on. That's the soft part of Duke's remaining schedule. Duke's schedule then gets much harder from there. Uh, they've got return games against Virginia Tech, NC State, and North Carolina to finish out the season. The two home games, Virginia Tech and NC State, of course, uh, are opportunities for Duke to avenge road losses from earlier this season. And then we know that the game at UNC is always a tough one. So it's sort of an interesting way to think about Duke's remaining schedule being three games that Duke should be winning and then three games that will be uh, much tighter and ones where we'll be rehashing either losses or close games from earlier this year. Well, except the one thing to add is the difference, especially in ACC teams from home and road. I, I, I believe that the Syracuse game is probably going to be a little bit maybe tougher or, uh, you know, in terms of what the odds makers put numbers on the game, I think that will be a closer game than the Virginia Tech and NC State games coming up because Virginia Tech and NC State are in Cameron and Duke has been a completely different team in Cameron than what they've been away from Cameron. Uh, I, I would expect Duke to be a, like like against Notre Dame, Duke's like a, a 14 point favorite. And I think Duke probably, I would take Duke up to 20 points in that game. Um, but I, I think Virginia Tech and NC State, you'll see Duke being like a, a five plus point favorite. And I think we'll only be a, you know, maybe a one or two point favorite, or maybe even a toss up for the game against Syracuse. So that's the upcoming schedule. I know, Donald, you'll be in the building for the game tomorrow in Cameron. So uh, any opportunities for folks to come say hi? Yes, uh, I will be at the Devil's Craft House. Uh, we'll do it around five o'clock. I'll just kind of be there, um, post it up somewhere. So come by, say hi. If you're planning to have a drink uh, before the game, go ahead and do that. But uh, looking forward to seeing anybody who's in town for the game. Again, That's Devil's the... Craft House, 
5 p.m. That's the that's at the, uh, house is the broadhead, the basement of the West Union building of the Broadhead Center. That's correct. That's correct. All right, very cool. So if you are in Durham tomorrow for the game, whether you are going to the game or not, swing by Devil's Craft House, say hi to Donald. We'll be back after that game to recap it. We might have some bites in between. It feels like there's been a lot of sort of interesting college basketball stuff that's been coming out recently. So maybe maybe yeah, we got we got to shout out Chris Collins and Northwestern. Oh, yeah. knocking off knocking yeah. off number one Purdue. Chris, you know, and by the way, Chris Collins, I I, I don't know. I haven't looked to see who else might be a contender for Big Ten Coach of the Year. I imagine Matt Painter at Purdue is one of the contenders, but I'll be shocked. Well, he just Chris beat him. <laughs> I, there, there's Chris Collins is going to win Big Ten Coach of the Year. His job was kind of on the line this year, and he has them currently second in the Big Ten. And it looks like Northwestern's absolutely making the tournament. For folks who don't know your college basketball history, Northwestern has made exactly one NCAA tournament in its history. Chris Collins led them there. He's about to do it for a second time. I mean, Collins may even be in some conversations for coach of the year. A great, great job by him and capped off with an incredible victory over a really good Purdue club. And he's not done yet. They're going to keep going. So congrats to them. And and uh, I always look I always look to see those scores, especially for the for the, you know, the, the tree, the coaching tree. Uh, but it's always fun uh, to see Northwestern doing as well as they have, given the fact that before he got there, they had no history uh, in the postseason, and now they're starting to build a little, little bit of success over there. Should is this the moment that we mentioned that Coach K picked John Shire to succeed him, and yet Chris Collins and Jeff Capel are having better seasons than John Shire? <laughs> look, you, you could go that way, or you could look at Nate James's current record at Austin P, which is uh, not thrilling. Yeah. So yeah, yeah. Uh, I I, I, I want to be clear. I want to be clear. I'm not starting this conversation. I don't believe that that's the case. Jason wants to funny. replace John no, Shire. No, nope. twenty games. <laughs> Didn't say it. Didn't. Nope. Not more at eleven. <laughs> Are you sure you want to get down this road? All right, let's leave it because I, I don't want Jason to say anything. Not going down Rats that road. No, I, lo- that. I love Shire. He's he does that. Job. He does that He's frequently enough. Job. So for Jason Evans, Donald Wine, I'm Sam Klein. This has been DBR Bytes episode 11. Send us emails, dbrpodcast at gmail.com. The conversation never stops. We will talk to you again soon. Duke Ban, take us home.